Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here today. I'm so glad that uh, you made it up today and got through the heat and made it inside so you're safe and sound. Now, don't fall asleep, okay? We're, we're going to, there's some good stuff God wants you to hear this morning. And uh, first of all, I want to say to anybody that is new here today, we would really love for you to fill out a card that's in the back of the chair in front of you. And give it to the folks at the Welcome Center because we got a little something to give to you. And we definitely want to get to know you a little better. So uh, please do that. But I, I do want to let everybody know today we're in the second week of this four-week series called Devoted. And um, last week we talked about being devoted to the Word of God and being devoted to the Apostles' teaching. Uh, today we're going to be focused on that aspect of the early church fellowship. Um, if, if you're here or you're watching online, you're, you're sort of already participating in this ancient practice of gathering together as believers. Pastor and Arthur Dietrich Bonhoeffer, many of you remember him uh, or have heard of him, said the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. And I believe that, that that's very true. Another, even older time preacher, Charles Spurgeon, said this, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Um, anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. He attaches far more importance to godly intercourse than we do. And since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. And Psalms 133, verses 1 through 2, we read how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, down upon the collar of his robes. Now that was a whole different culture because I don't think I'd enjoy the wool running down my head and on my beard. But you get the feeling. This was something that brings joy and pleasure is the idea of fellowship. Now there are just a few examples of how valuable we know fellowship to be in our lives. There is great power in gathering together in worship, in prayer, and in communion. The earliest church communities were absolutely devoted to being together. Whether it was homes or synagogues or marketplaces, uh, it would seem that nothing would stop them from getting together, and there is so much we can learn from their example in that area. But the problem, as most of us know that live in this culture, in this society, is that our lives have become so busy. How many of you would say, you got a pretty full calendar? Raise your hand if you got a pretty full calendar. And yet, at the same time we're so busy, we're also so autonomous. How many of you would say that most of the time you'd rather just be home with your family just hanging out together. Raise, raise your hand. Come on, let's be honest. I mean, that, that's the way it is. And, and so many people are not really sharing life together with other families. Now, there's 
always something else going on that takes precedence. Rather than coming together, it seems like we're just periodically seeing each other. And it's almost impossible to develop relationships when we come into a room and we sit for about an hour and then we leave and we don't see each other again for maybe three or four, five, six weeks. But there is a real need for true Christian fellowship today. You know, with all the technology, with all of the social media ways of connecting to people, people feel more lost and more alone than they ever have before because we're not together. We have struggles. We have hurts. We have anxieties. We've all suffered loss of some kind. We need each other to get through it all. We need to find our way back to devotion and commitment to each other. Since COVID, it seems like a lot of folks would prefer to have the church experience online. But that really isn't church. Now, now that's there for people who physically can't come. Now, my sister's in the hospital right now. I don't know that she's watching online today, but the only way she could participate in this service would be online. But if there's somebody that's sitting at home and they're perfectly healthy and they just wanted to sleep in in their pajamas and they wanted to, you are missing fellowship. The problem is we can't serve others when we're sitting in our living room. That's part of the value of fellowship. But the other thing is true too. They can't, we can't serve you if you're sitting in your living room. There is no human touch in that setting. And honestly, when you look at the stats on Facebook Live, I used to do that, I don't do it anymore because it's just depressing. You discover that almost maybe 90% of the people that tune in, tuned in for one minute to three minutes and then they were gone. <laughs> the online experience cannot provide the kind of fellowship that we will be talking about today. And so it's gonna stay there, it's gonna be there. <clears throat> but remember, it's there for people who can't make it. The early church was extremely devoted in several areas of faith. One of the most important and empowering being their commitment to regular fellowship with one another. And so here's the big idea for today. Christian fellowship gives us a glimpse of heaven and it helps us to face the trials of this life and it must be treasured. And by treasured, I'm saying we should be devoted to it. So let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we come to you and we ask you, Father, to please forgive us for the ways that maybe we've neglected the fellowship. Help us to move beyond, uh, you know, just saying hi to each other, passing each other, but help us to really come together. Give us a renewed desire to live our faith in Christ-centered and Christ-honoring communities. 
And help us, Lord, as we uh, try to find ways to improve our fellowship so that we can face the attacks of the enemy, which are coming to anybody who genuinely seeks Jesus, and that we will have the strength to deal with the difficulties we face in life. Help, help us, Father, to get a glimpse of what heaven will be like, that true, genuine, beautiful unity of Christian fellowship. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, uh, today, and actually through this whole series, we're going to be focused on Acts chapter 2, verses 242 through 47. So let's go to that and read that again today. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now you'll notice that fellowship is the second of those four practices the early church was devoted to. Last week, we again covered the teaching or the, the word of God. And in upcoming weeks, we'll be talking about communion and prayer. But the interesting thing about fellowship is that it's the practice where the other practices happen. You, you, you get the point? When, when we gather together, that's when we can teach and we can learn. That's where we can pray together. That's, that's where we take communion together. Upon further reflection, you'll notice that you can do everything on your own except for fellowship. By nature, we cannot gather with others if we're only by ourselves. <laughs> fellowship is a communal exercise with a common focus. So first of all, what we have in common is more important than our differences. Now, let me say this again. Fellowship is a communal exercise with a common focus, but we all know that there are many differences that all of us have. Now, the word fellowship is derived from the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia can be defined as holding something in common and is really specifically used 20 different times in the New Testament. What is it exactly that we hold in common as a Christian fellowship? Anybody want to take a guess? What do we hold in common? Christ. Jesus Christ. Now, everything else in our life might be totally different, but we have Jesus, and he brings us together. And amazingly, despite all of our differences, when we hold Jesus in common with others, we experience this deep abiding community that wouldn't be accomplished otherwise. Now, I have a friend that, uh, according to the world standards, should not be my friend. 
all right? We come from different racial backgrounds. I've tried to help save him, but he's a Duke fan. <laughs> and of course, I'm a Carolina fan, so there's no way a Duke fan and a Carolina fan should be friendly, according to the world standards. I talked to Clint and Lorinda about that. Uh, they, they got married in their Duke and Carolina fan. We have different political opinions. And by those measures, we should have nothing to do with each other. In fact, every time we get together, it should be a, a fight, you know, a debate. But I consider him my brother. Jesus is greater than our differences. And I believe that my friend would do anything within his power to help me, and I know I would do anything within my power to help him. Because we love each other in spite of our differences. And, and truthfully, folks, none of us share every opinion and belief in common, right? Because I know a bunch of y'all are Duke fans, okay? <laughs> uh, I hope you don't hold me being a Tar Heel fan against me, okay? But uh, hey, we love each other. And, but there are a lot of different opinions. You know, we, we can take the Bible and we can read the Bible and there are any number. You, you take just the end of time, a, a big word, eschatology. Probably there are so many different views on that that I hope you wouldn't hold my view against me and I won't hold your view against you. It's different opinions. The body of Christ is diverse in many ways. We have rich and poor. We have married and single and divorced. We have different socioeconomic backgrounds, political affiliations, business associations. Some of you like Ford, some of you like Chevy. And boy, that, that, that can put up your dukes, you know, if you're driving something I don't like. We root for different sports teams, and yet there is this amazing diversity in the fellowship of Christ, and amazing unity can be found through him. In Romans 12, we read, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We are one body in Christ. We have a common focus and a common goal, and I believe when I say that it takes every single one of us to accomplish anything here, I mean that. Listen to this explanation from author John Bloom. He, he writes, your body is unity in diversity incarnate. The one you is comprised of an almost incomprehensible number of unique parts that all function together. And every member of your body, strong or weak, prominent or obscure, is necessary. You would be overwhelmed if you could see the <clears throat> comprehensive list of what all the diverse parts of you do to make possible for you to move across the room or teach a class or eat a meal 
or play catch with your child or dance to a piece of music. You are one body, but it takes every individual member of your body working together to make it possible for you to do what you do every day. What we accomplish as a church is only possible when as a fellowship we are committed to gathering together, learning together, praying together, serving and ministering together. Simply put, we are better together and that's the way God designed it. So I really wanna encourage you, friends. You're here today and I'm so glad you are. But secondly, we must continue spending time together. Don't let this be a once in every six week kind of thing for you. Now it's likely because the fellowship of Christ is so incredibly powerful that the enemy of faith is so set against it. Earlier I read this quote from Charles Spurgeon about how the Satan hates Christian fellowship. It's his policy to keep Christians apart. And he went on to write, if this is true, that is an enemy set against our being together, then don't you think it's worth asking what's he so afraid of? Now think about that for a minute. Why would Satan be so afraid of us coming together? Instead of trying to guilt all of us into being together, I'd much rather focus on the positives. Realities like we're truly better together, as Jesus says in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three gather in my name, what happens? There am I with them. Jesus is with us today. Friends, that's a powerful thought. A unified church is a powerful church. And at the end of the day, there is great power in our being together and for the early church, it meant incredible growth as the light of the gospel spread. You go back to Acts 2, verses 46 and 47. I read every day they continued to meet together in the temple court. See, every day they would get together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, it was powerful. It was affecting their neighbors and their friends and their family members. I can only imagine in these early settings, there was an excitement and a joy amongst the believers as God was adding to their numbers daily. People were seeing the life change that was taking place and they were wanting that for them because they were all suffering. They were going through the same life issues and struggles and they saw these Christians and the joy and the happiness that they had and people around wanted that for themselves. I wanna tell you something, friends. The world isn't that much different today. People want joy. They want peace. They just don't know where to find it. Now, not that more people and bigger churches is the end goal, but rather that the truth of the gospel 
would be shared with as many people as possible, as often as possible. And that's why the writer of Hebrews encouraged people to spur one another on. In Hebrews 10, we read in verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Friends, this world's gonna come to an end. My, some of my preacher friends and I, we're, we're just, how much worse can it get? How much worse can it get? Jesus could come back any minute. Man, and I wanna be ready, but I want my family to be ready. I want my friends to be ready. And so when we come together, we spur one another on. That means <clears throat> we, we're not spurring like kicking the horse, you know. We're just encouraging. We're trying to help each other along. You know, friends, our fellowship on this earth is just a precursor of the fellowship we'll experience in heaven. Now, um, about 25 years ago, um, me and a, a few preachers started getting together on Tuesdays. Uh, we were actually doing some sermon work together, you know, working on sermon ideas and sharing those, and then we would go out to lunch. And that sort of has morphed into today, like this past week, how many, you weren't there, you weren't there. I, I think we had 13 preachers that came together on Tuesday, different churches, some different even denominationally, um, but just coming together, sharing a meal, laughing, encouraging each other. And these guys, I mean, you think over, I mean, we've been doing this for over 20 years in that kind of setting. And I've got relationships and friendships with people that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And I think that's the way heaven's going to look. We're all going to be together and we're going to enjoy each other's company. And I think of the banquet that the scripture talks about and the great feast God is preparing for us. In Revelation 7, 9, we read, After this I looked, and there was before me a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. <coughs> Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Think about it. Heaven will be filled with people from every nation, every tribe, every language. Our, our group that, how many of y'all went to Mexico? Stand, let, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you went to Mexico, okay? All, all of our Mexican brothers and sisters will be there in heaven with us. Who's been to Rwanda? I, I know that some of our Rwanda folks are here. Uh, all of our Rwanda friends, they will be with us. I'm trying to put together a trip to Togo. Anybody here been to Togo? Raise your hand if you've been to Togo. Uh, all of our Togo friends will be in heaven. How many have been to India with us? Anybody here been to India with us? Okay. So all of our Indian brothers and sisters in Christ will be there. 
and we won't have a problem communicating. I, I don't think there'll be a language barrier in heaven. And it will be filled with joy. That's exciting to me. People from different eras, think about this, different ages from long ago. Sure, some of the greatest names of Scripture will be there. We could walk up to Peter and say, what were you thinking? <laughs> Maybe our memories will be washed out and we won't remember the bad things we've done. But even some of the most obscure. Now, who were you in the Bible? Oh, okay. We will be together. I had, I had a dream about my mom. Um, we were, I, I had gone through this and I didn't plan to have an issue. Um, in my dream, I was standing and my mom was beside me and we were looking up like this and like this fast, fast crowd of people all around, everybody raising hands and we were looking and I didn't, I didn't look at what we were looking at but I knew what we were looking at. We were looking at Jesus. We were worshiping him. And in my mom's face, it's sort of weird. It was the face I knew as a child. It was my mother that was my mother, her face, young and vibrant. And we worshiped the Lord together. You know, friends, this is all just a foreshadowing of what is to come. And it is helpful for us, not just for the future, but for today. And I appreciate what some of our young families have been doing after church uh, just about every Sunday. I don't know if they're doing that today, but just about every uh, Sunday, they would team up together with some other young families and bring some food in and eat and share lunch after church. Just another way to build that fellowship. I, I commend them for that effort. On September the 10th, we're going to have a, uh, what we're calling a kickoff for the fall season. And we're going to be doing a, like a little tailgating event in the back of our campus. You can bring your cars out, bring your tents out, bring your grills out. You know, and, and we'll just sit back there, hang out together before our uh, classes start uh, that evening we need some encouragement. That's all it's about is just coming to, getting to know each other. Maybe you don't know a lot of folks here. This would be a great opportunity for you to come out, meet some people, get to know them, and find out you got a lot more in common with them that you don't, than you don't. We need to spur one another on. We are better together. And frankly, when we isolate ourselves and try to do things on our own, we become a prime target for the enemy of our souls. Now, y'all know this to be true, don't you? We need to come together in times of grief. I, I really want to encourage some of you who are dealing with grief to sign up for this grief share group that's going to be starting in September. I think there's some information in the bulletin about that, and uh, we can get you signed up for that. But that, that's just uh, people coming together with a common struggle, a common pain, being able to share with each other. What I've heard is that it isn't just about the material, but it's about the fellowship and the sharing. Am I right about that? Yeah. Those of you that have been there? 
the knowledge that you're not going through this alone, that there are others who understand and they've been there. That is the true power of fellowship. Now, how do we get through the hard days of life without each other? I don't know how people deal with death with, without faith and without friends and without family. We just had uh, Chuck Isle's funeral this past week, and, you know, he just suddenly, in, in his sleep, he passed away, 66 years old. I mean, just a shock. But his family, when, when this room was about as full as it is today, um, it, was a, it was a blessing to them. But you should know that our fellowship also gives us strength when facing the enemy. And you know, we have an enemy who wants to destroy us. Now, I'm not talking about Russia or China. I'm talking about a common enemy. And our fellowship strengthens us against our enemy who is looking to devour us. There's a very interesting passage in 1 Peter chapter 5 that talks about the strategy of the enemy. In fact, the passage gives us some insight into the power of fellowship and the danger of going it alone. 1 Peter 5 verses 8 through 9. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. First of all, notice how the passage says the enemy prowls like a lion looking for someone to devour. Um, not some group or some church but some one. Did you notice that in the passage? Lions are strong, yes, but they also are pretty smart when it comes to getting their prey. They would much rather attack the weak one, the one that is alone, rather than, they're not gonna attack a whole herd that's facing them. Lions know, like the enemy knows, that it's far more productive to attack one than it is to attack an entire herd. How many of you have seen that video, The Battle of Kruger? Anybody here seen that video? You might not remember it when I mention it by the name, but it's about a 10-minute long video that is showing what I'm describing to you. I, I would add that it might be difficult for young people to watch that video, and it's too long for us to show anyway, but people on a safari in South Africa's Kruger National Park witnessed something amazing, and they were able to capture it on video. There was a herd of buffalo who were grazing by a lake. And you can see a pride of lions over here. And they're, they're just sort of get, getting ready to creep, you know, looking for a kill. The herd moved away when they saw the lions. And as they started moving away, one of the little baby buffalo found itself sort of on the outskirts of the herd. And that's when the lions pounced. They jumped on that little baby buffalo and they attempted uh, again to, to you know, take it down. And as one uh, lion jumped on it, they fell into a lake. 
and uh, right at the edge of the lake. And then about four or five lions joined in. And, and suddenly, out of nowhere, a crocodile comes up out of the lake. I think there's a picture here. This crocodile grabs the baby buffalo by the leg. And there's a tug of war between the lions and the crocodile. Well, well, the lions were able to get that baby away from the crocodile, but by that time, the herd of buffalo realized what had happened. And all of a sudden, you see about 30 or 40 big buffalo coming towards those lions. You know what the lions did? They gave up that little baby buffalo and they ran for the hills. And that baby buffalo miraculously got up and ran back to mama. Now, when I read this passage about the devil, it reminds me of the power of fellowship. The baby lion got separated from the herd, became vulnerable to the lion's attack. The lion doesn't attack the herd. It attacks the one that is vulnerable, easy to bring down. Think about that with your life and my life. The enemy's looking for someone to devour, not some group. There is strength in the herd, in the group, in the church, and it can be dangerous to forego the community in favor of being isolated and alone. And secondly, notice how Peter says we should respond to the enemy's tricks. He says, resist him, stand firm, and remember that the family of believers around the world is enduring the same kinds of suffering. Resist him, yes. Stand firm in the faith, yes and yes. But also remember the family of faith. Set your mind on the herd, on the group, on the church fellowship. Remember, you're not in the battle alone. We're all in this battle together. There's a whole worldwide church experiencing similar suffering and pain as you. The enemy wants us to be alone, to think that we're all by ourselves. But Peter wants us to remember we're not alone. We are part of a much bigger family, a fellowship with a common focus (coughs) and bond. Through Christ, we can withstand the enemy's attacks together. And it would be easy enough today to say something like, well, there you have it. You know, fellowship is important, so let's all commit to being together as much as possible. But I think we all know that saying something like that sort of falls short. The truth is, our fellowship is powerful. Koinonia is an ancient practice around a common bond. For Christians, Jesus is the bond between us and he can somehow bring all of our diversity together in a beautiful and powerful mosaic. Somehow in him, we are so much better together. We are so much stronger. So today I just want to leave us with a couple of thoughts about fellowship. First, if having regular fellowship with other believers is not a part of your life, I'd encourage you to take some time this week to ask yourself why. And if through that process you were able to identify a couple of key barriers, then I'd suggest doing what you can to remove or redeem those barriers 
for the sake of fellowship with others. And second, if you or someone you know has been isolating themselves lately, please either ask for help or contact them and ask how they're doing. Take them a meal or meet them for coffee or do something to reach out. Some of you might say, well, that's the preacher's job or that's the staff's job or that's the elder's job. But the truth is, we're all in this together. If you notice something about a brother or sister, you need to reach out. You can let us know and we can try to reach out too. But you are that vital link. And if you're here today and you've been carving out your own lonely path, let me, let me say this. We'd love to have a meal with you and hear what's going on in your life. I'd, I'd love to sit down with you. Just let me know. You know, we can work out a time to get together and talk. Finally, let's commit to praying for fellowship. Let's pray not only for our community, but for the believers all around the world who are gathering together. Pray for strength and unity. Pray for protection and empowerment. Pray that others would be added to their fellowship who need to hear the gospel. Remember, fellowship is a communal exercise. That means we come together with a common focus. And when we do that, we get a glimpse of heaven and we are enabled to face the trials of life with the knowledge we're not alone. So let's treasure that fellowship. Father, we come to you because we know that we are so much better together than we are alone. Help us, Father, to, to treasure our time together. Help us to be devoted to coming together, to not only worshiping together, spending this time together, but Father, enable us to be together even outside of this time. You know, maybe in a small group, uh, maybe in a Bible study, maybe just one-on-one -on -one with someone just to share and talk and pray. Father, this is vital for us because we know we have an enemy that wants to devour us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to take our families down and he wants to bring bad things into our life. So Father, we need each other for that encouragement. And so Father, I, I do pray that you would just help us to see the real value of Christian fellowship. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.